Um, Parsha's boy, this week's Parsha, is the special Parsha of Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim. The Gula of Mitzrayim, which is the father of all Gulas, as the Pasuk says regarding the coming of Mashiach. The Navi says, That the wonders of Mashiach will be similar to the wonders that we experienced when we left Mitzrayim. So this is definitely a parsha of Geula, parsha of, uh, of Yisrael Mitzrayim, and also a parsha of really the beginning of the mitzvahs of the Torah, to the extent that in the very first Rashi and Chumash Bereshis, the very first Rashi, Rashi says, that really the Torah should have started parsha's boy. And Rashi says, for whatever reason, it starts Bereshis. But it really begins in many ways in this week's parsha when we leave Mitzrayim and we become Am Yisrael. We become an Am Yisrael when we leave Mitzrayim. And that is in this special parsha, parsha of Bayel Pare. Um, but let's uh, talk about a couple of nekudas, a couple of points, interesting points in the parsha. Right in the beginning of the parsha, we have Hashem tells Moshe, "Come to Pare," and Rashi says, "Vehisrabai, warn him, I give him warnings for the for the upcoming makas." We had seven makas behind us in last week's parsha, and this week we have the final three. Right, Arba, Cheshach, and Makas Bechiris, the final three, and we have the famous Remez, the hint that the word boy is Bez Aleph, which is three, and that is the last three Makas. So Moshe Rabbeinu comes to Pari and he warns him. He says, He says, Koyamar Hashem Elokeha Ivrim, Admasai Miantali Anesmi Panai, so said Hashem, the God of the Jewish people, how long are you going to rebel? Shalach Amivi Avduni, send out my nation and have them serve me. And then he says, If you will withhold and you will not send out my nation, I will be bringing tomorrow Arba locusts in your, um, in your boundaries, in, your, in, your borders, in the borders of Mishraim. Now, which sounds very much like a warning. He says, if you're not going to do this, Arba will be brought tomorrow in your borders, which is fine. The problem is, the Pasuk said right before, uh, Hashem says, I have hardened Paro's heart. And he's not going to listen to you. So what's the charades? What's going on? Hashem promises. And it's already in the earlier part. I'm going to make Paro's heart heart, and he's not going to listen and so on and so forth. So there's sort of a promise. This is not going to work. He's not going to listen. So if Hashem says he's not going to listen, why does then Hashem turn to motion and says, go warn him. And says, if he's not going to listen, he's going to be punished. Well, he's not going to listen. He was told that he's not going to listen. So, I mean, famously, the Rambam deals with the question of, did Paro have Bechira? Right? Did Paro, did Paro have free choice? The Rambam, in his writings, talks tremendously about the uh, significance of the belief of Bechira Chavshis, that every person, Jew and non-Jew, has the power of choice to choose to be good or bad. And um, the Rambam says it's the foundation of Torah to believe that we have the choice. Nobody could ever say, you know, I, I couldn't. You know, we always say, I couldn't resist. Right? The Torah says, it's not true. It was hard, but you could. You know, every, every person has the ability to do right and wrong. And the Ramam says, if a person wouldn't have the choice to do right and wrong, then there couldn't be the concept of reward and punishment. Because if you have to be good, why are you being rewarded? If you have to be bad, why are you being punished? And then for Rambam writes, he writes a lot about it a lot, that it, there must, it's a basic tenet of faith that every person has the right to choose to be good and bad. So he asks, what's with power? Hashem says, I hardened his heart and it's going to be bad. And Rambam says, a very unique idea, he says that Paro sinned so much that his punishment was that his heart was hardened to do tshuva. So it's not as if he didn't have choice. He, of course he had choice because he shouldn't have sinned in the first place. 
But being that he sinned so much, this was the form of punishment that Hashem says, you've taken away from yourself the ability to actually do tshuva. And that's how Rambam deals with it. But that doesn't really explain the Pasuk here, which is, Moshe tells Pharaoh, if you're not going to do this, this is going to happen. Which indicates that if you will, then it won't happen, right? It's a warning. But if, if, the, if, the, if the case was sealed already, and Hashem says he's not going to change his mind, and his, his, heart is hard, his, his heart is hardened, he's not going to do tshuva, what's the warning all about? And there's a very beautiful explanation, a very powerful explanation here as well. And that is, we find sometimes that a certain, it's said about a certain person that he can't do tshuva. And nevertheless, although it's said that he's not going to be able to do tshuva, if he would want strong enough, if he would fight hard enough, he would be able to do tshuva. And I'll give you two examples. Famous example for the Gemara is Akhir. Who was Akhir? Akhir, his real name is Elisha ben Avuya. Elisha ben Avuya was one of the greatest Talmud and greatest Sadiqim of his generation. He was the Rebbe of Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir is the most common Tana in Mishnayis. Rabbi Meir is one of the greatest Rabbi Meir Balanais, one of the greatest Tanaim ever. Rabbi Meir's teacher was Elisha ben Avuya. Elisha ben Avuya went totally off the deep end as far as uh, Torah is concerned. He became a total apicurus. He became a total heretic. And the worst thing says about Akhir. In fact, the Gemara says, the Sugi is in Chagiga, where the Gemara says that a heavenly voice comes forth from heaven and says, Shuvu banim shevavim, all Jews should do tshuva, aside from Akhir. He's not wanted here. So much so that the Gemara there in the same, in that, in that daft, the Gemara says that one time Rabbi Meir was teaching Torah on Shabbos. And they notice out of the window of the Bismedrish, who's riding by on a horse? Elisha ben Avuya. And Rameir says, that's my teacher. And Rameir is the teacher of the Jewish people. He's the teacher of the yeshiva. He goes out and he's walking along with Acher, Shabbos afternoon. Rameir is walking. Acher is riding on the horse. And Rameir is asking him questions in Torah. Because Rameir recognized the greatness of Acher's knowledge. Although Acher was an apicurist. And at some point, as they're walking, Acher tells Rameir, stop. Rameir says, Why? He says, Acha says, because I've, I've been counting how far we're walking, here is Tchum Shabbos. You can't go any further. Chazor Bacha, return to your base medrash, says Acher on the horse to Rameir. Rameir turns to his teacher and says, Chazor Bacha, you return to the base medrash. He didn't just mean return to the base medrash, he meant return to the base medrash. And Acher said, I can't. I heard the key from the Kisei HaKovet, I heard from Me'achere Apargut from behind the heavenly curtain in heaven that Tshuvu Banu Shibavim Lubad Me'achere Acher can't do Tshuva. According to the Talmud Yerushalmi, Acher says, I was riding on a horse on Yom Kippur by the Kodesh HaKadoshim and I heard the voice coming out from Kodesh HaKadoshim, Acher can't do Tshuva. We're talking about a very phenomenal type of a person. So Acher says, I can't do Tshuva. Yet, Rameir never stopped trying to get Acher to do tshuva. Yomar says when Acher was on his deathbed, Rameir came to him and he was completely with him to do tshuva. Even after he died, Rameir said things for his chus. It's a, it's a, the whole story of Acher is an anomaly. But the question is, if Acher said that I heard a heavenly voice, I can't do tshuva, why did Rameir keep on telling him to try to get him to do tshuva? So the Marsha deals with it in the Gemara there in Chagiga. The Marsha says from here we learn a cloud. Tshuva is never impossible. A person, because of their sinfulness, it might become harder for them to do tshuva, and they're not as accepted, and it's not made. Because normally there's a klal that says that if a person tries, Hashem helps them, right? If you open up you open up your heart a little bit, Hashem says, you open a drop, and I'll open up the doors of the Beis Hamikdash for you. Hashem helps a person on the way to tshuva. 
Sometimes because of the great sins of a person, because of the difficulties of the severity of his sins, Hashem says, I'm not helping. I'm not helping. You're on your own. I'm not going to help you do truth. Not just that Hashem might say, I'm going to make it difficult for you to do truth. But it's never impossible. No matter what, a person has the ability, Hashem never takes away the Bechira to the point where a person can't push his way in. There's a Gemara, Gemara Masechi Yuma, that says that a person who says, Echta Ashuv, a person says, you know what, I, I, I'll be able to do tshuva later. I'll sin today, I'll do tshuva tomorrow. So a person sins in mind that, you're Hashem, give me a week. You know, I need one week off. Next week, I'm going to have, I'm going to do tshuva. So the Gemara says in Yuma, Ha'omer echta va'ashuv ein maspikin biyado lasos tshuva. Loosely translated, it, the ability is not given to him to do tshuva. So again, it's like someone who Hashem says, oh, like Acher, can't do tshuva. Says the Alter Rebbe in Tanya, in a couple places, both in Geras HaTshuva and in Kudah Yomar, he says, even when the Gemara says, ein maspikin biyado lasos tshuva, that the ability is not given to do tshuva, if one pushes his way in, there's nothing that stands in the way of Shuba. Because at the end of the day, a person has the ability. Even sometimes there's no help and there's not granted any leeway, but there's always the ability to talk to Shuba. And that really is the idea right here by Pari as well. Even Pari, who was the top of all evil and was the worst of all men, and he was worthy of, Ani Aksha, slave Pari, Hashem promises, I'm going to harden his heart. Even Pari has a way, if he wants, he can turn a leaf and do better. And that's why Moshe Rabbein was still warning him later. So just similar to Reb Meir with his Rebbe Acher, similarly to the person who says, Echtev Ashuv, when it comes to HaKadosh Baruch Hashem is called, Chanun or He's the ultimate, the greatest forgiver. Which means that Hashem's uh, forgiveness is believable without any limitation and even when a person lost the rights to do tshuva and lost the rights to help to do tshuva there's always the ability of dochak to nichnas pushing oneself in so if that's true for a, for a paroi then obviously it's true for uh, and for an acher it's true for every person that no matter what no matter what situation they are we never give up on another yid we definitely, definitely never give up on ourselves and we recognize that we have in our hands always to change and to change for the better even if one might be in the worst place, one has the kayach to do tshuva, in l'chadover ha'imid b'fnei ha'tshuva. That's one concept from the beginning of this week's parsha. Okay, we have time. Another concept. A very beautiful concept that I want to share with you. And that is, in this week's parsha, we learn the mitzvah of Karban Pesach. Right? Because, as I said, this week's parsha is the parsha of Matan Torah. I'm sorry, the parsha of uh, Yisias Mitzrayim, and what precedes Yisias Mitzrayim is the carbon Pesach. In fact, we know the whole story. We're supposed to take a sheep and tie it to their bedpost four days in advance, and then shechted Erev Pesach. Now, the story of the sheep and the deeper symbolism of that we discussed last year in the class, so I'm sure I don't have to repeat anything. So, but, but we'll move on to another point, right? And that is the carbon Pesach. What day of the week was the carbon Pesach brought that year? So the Gemara says, Yisias Mitzrayim was on a Thursday. The Jewish people left Egypt on a Thursday. So the Karban Pesach was on Wednesday, right? Because the Yisrael is Tess Vavnis and Karban Pesach is Yudalid. And they ate it that night by the first ever Pesach Seder. And it was from that Pesach Seder that they headed out of town, right? They left Mishra. They had to eat the Pesach Seder with their belts on and with their walking sticks, right? They're on the way out. So the first Karban Pesach was brought on a Wednesday. The next year, they brought a Karban Pesach again. And that was going to be, then there's going to be a 40-year break, right? Because all the years throughout the desert, they did not bring a Karim Pesach until they came into the land of Israel. But the first year, they brought it. When it was one year after the Exodus, I believe after the Mishraim, they brought the Karim Pesach. 
Now, that Karm Pesach, that was on Shabbos. And the reason I say that is because that year, first year after, Rosh Chodesh Nisan was on a Sunday. That's the day that they erected the Mishka, right, Aleph Nisan. And 14 days later was Shabbos, and that was the second Karm Pesach. So, interesting historical fact. The first Karm Pesach was brought on a Wednesday, the second was brought on a Shabbos. What's another difference between the two? Is when the first one was brought, everyone brought in their own homes. There was no Mishkan, right? The, the first Korban Pesach was in Mitzrayim. There was no Mishkan, there was no tabernacle. So everyone took a sheep and they shechted it in their own home. In fact, they took the blood and put it on the doorposts. So it was a private Korban in everyone's home. The second Korban Pesach, a year later, was in the Mishkan, right? It was 14 days after the Mishkan is standing in full purpose. So everyone brings their Korban Pesach to the Mishkan. So Wednesday asking for Pesach I'm sorry? Then, that's the second year. The second year, there was people who were impure and they asked for Pesach Shadi, and that's the story discussed in the Torah portion of Baha'u'llah. Well said. Now, and here comes an interesting idea. And here I want to connect the dots a little bit. The first Karm Pesach is a private Karban that everyone brings in their homes, and it's on Wednesday. The second is a communal Karban brought in the Mishkan, and it's on Shabbos. This is not arbitrary. Um, may a Karban be brought on Shabbos? In the base of Mikdash. Yes or no? Yeah. Okay, the answer is yes and no, depending on which carbon. And the basic rule of thumb is it a private carbon or is it a communal carbon? Carbonos yachid were not brought on Shabbos. If someone had to bring their own carbon chatas for a sin or the carbon usham or a carbon for Mitzorah or a zav, any private yuledes, a carbon toda, any private carbon was not allowed to be brought in the base of Mikdash Shabbos. Do it on Sunday, do it on Friday, not on Shabbos. But any carbon seaboard, communal offerings, they were brought on Shabbos. Every Shabbos, you brought the carbon Talmud, you brought the carbon Musaf, and you brought the Yom Tov Karbanas. Whatever, the basic rule of thumb is that a carbon seaboard is brought on Shabbos. Carbon Yachid is not. And this plays itself out in these two first carbon Pesachs. The first carbon Pesach was essentially a carbon Yachid because everyone brought them on their own in their home. The second carbon Pesach, a year later, was the first carbon Sibur because everyone is bringing it together in the Mishkan and therefore it was brought on Shabbos, right? So that's the, the rule of thumb. The carbon Sibur, the communal sacrifice is brought on Shabbos. The carbon Yachah, the private one, is only brought during the weekday, not on Shabbos. But here we have a fascinating story. When it comes to carbon Pesach, there actually in the Gemara is a very fascinating, unusual story about the story with carbon Pesach and Shabbos. And that is the Gemara Masech Tavsachim, which says that there came a time when the leaders of the Jewish people at the time were not the greatest scholars. There was like a lapse of Jewish leadership. The leaders of the previous generation were Shmaya and Aftalion. They had passed on. And there wasn't designated a new real leader. And the ones that led the Jewish people sort of de facto were, says, a family called the Bnei Becerra, the sons of Becerra. And a question arose they didn't know the answer to which was Pesach that year fell out on Sunday. So the carbon Pesach would be Shabbos. And they didn't know, can you bring a carbon Pesach on Shabbos? They didn't know. It was a Suffolk. And they sent out letters to everyone. Does anyone know? It's a big question, a big problem. We, we got to know. The carbon Pesach is coming up. Do you or don't you bring it on Shabbos? And who came and answered the question? Hillel. Hillel came from Bavel. He wasn't Israeli, he was a Babylonian. And Hillel came and he taught them and he showed them that yes, the carbon Pesach can be brought on Shabbos. He proved it, he said he heard it from Shmaya Vavtalion. And when he did that, you have another great story of the Gemara that these people stepped down and they said, you be the Nasi from now on. 
And that's when Hillel became the Nasi of the Jewish people, the leader of the Jewish people. And then leadership stayed in Hillel's family for a couple hundred years. Right, because basically it was his son and his son, grandson, grandson, grandson. Rabbi Yudah Nasi is his great, great grandson. And 13 generations were of the Nasim were the descendants of Hillel until the end of the house of the Nasi after the destruction of the Second Holy Temple. So Hillel becomes the leader of the Jewish people on account of one psak that he gave. The psak that a Korban Pesach is Docha Shabbos, you're, you're able to bring the Korban Pesach on Shabbos. And the question has to be asked why, what was the depth of the question? It doesn't seem like they had this question about all the other kabbalists. They, they had their act together. They knew the halachas. Why was it specifically a question about Korban Pesach? Is Korban Pesach brought on Shabbos or not? Why is this that symbolic question that ultimately leads to, the, um, to creating that Hillel becomes the Nasi of the Jewish people? What's the deeper question that was going on? And in a very beautiful talk, the Rebbe gave an approach to explain it. He said the following. Said, we said earlier that there's a basic rule of thumb when it comes to karbanas, which is karban sibur, doche shabbos. Karban yachid, not. Right? Private sacrifice is not, doesn't push off shabbos, communal does. What's karban pesach? Is karban pesach really a karban sibur or a karban yachid? If you think about it, it has sibur strains and yachid strains to it. Right? On the one hand, it's not like a private sacrifice because all of the Jewish people bring it to the base of Mikdash. In that way, it's communal. Right? It's not like I'm bringing my own chatas today because I need to, or I'm bringing my own shlumim because I want to. It's everyone's got to bring it today to the base of Mikdash. So in that way, a carbon Pesach is communal. It's a carbon Sibor. On the other hand, it's not really like a carbon Sibor. Why not? Everyone did their own. Every family. A, a typical carbon Sibor is like the carbon tamid. You bring one sheet for Klal Yisrael, or the carbon musaf, or the carbon for Pesach, or Sukkot. That's the real carbon sibur. So if you think about it, carbon Pesach is an anomaly. It's not private in a sense that everyone's got to do it on the same day in the same place. So it's public. But it's not communal because everyone brings their own. So it's the only such carbon that we have. If you think through all the different types of carbonus, all carbonus is very clear. They're either private, and then they're personal, and then they're whatever person at whatever time, it's personal, or it's public. Then it's one for everyone. Carbon Pesach is that anomaly, the only carbon, that it is personal, but all together. It's every family brings it, but all together on the same day in the same place. Says the Rebbe, that's why the B'nai B'Seirah had a suffix. That's why this carbon brings out this question, how do we treat it? Is it a carbon yachit, or is it a carbon seaboard? And that's why they didn't know. Can you bring it on Shabbos? They knew the rules. Carbon yachid, no. Carbon sibur, yes. But what is this? And that was their shayla. They couldn't figure it out. The, the, the different angles and aspects of this carbon. And it took Hilo. And it took Hilo to come and say, though everyone brings their private, this is considered a carbon sibur. Everyone is bringing it to the base of Mikdash together, though everyone is bringing their own. So it's considered a carbon seaboard, and it is the Shabbos. And, and he was right. That, that's how the halacha was established. But we have to ask why. Why is it that it's dafka this carbon that's different from all the other carbons? And why it's dafka specifically this carbon that has those both opposite strains to it, angles to it? And the explanation is the following. Carbon Pesach is not just any carbon. Carbon Pesach really is the carbon that signifies the birth of Klal Yisrael. 
As we said earlier, when did we become a nation, really? When did we become a nation by Yitzhak Mitzrayim? No, when we had Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, we were a family, not a nation. It was a family. But when did we become a nation? When Hashem took us out of Egypt and said, Lakachti li, I'm taking you for me as a nation, I'm going to bring you, I'm going to give you the Torah, we became a nation then. And the carbon that leads into our birth as a nation is carbon Pesach. When you think about Kalal Yisrael, in Kalal Yisrael, there's something very, very unique. What do we attribute significance to? The Yachid or the Tzid? What's important to the Jewish people and the Jewish people? Is it about the Kalal or is it about the Prat? And the answer is both. Kalal Yisrael, on the one hand, there's a tremendous chashivas, a tremendous significance to a minion and a tzibur and coming together and hakil gathering Kalal Yisrael and everyone is, and we're all together create one entity of Kalal Yisrael. On the other hand, when it comes to Kalal Yisrael, there's so many halachas that say you never trample on the yachid. Every person is individually significant um, and and everyone carries their own significance. And everyone's avodah is their own avodah. And one can never um, excuse themselves because uh, everyone is doing it. It doesn't work. Everyone is their own person with their own kasher, their own connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and their own connection as a yachid. And dafka as a yachid. The Aseris Adibros are said, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, in singular. But Hashem doesn't say, Anochi Hashem Elokechem, I'm your God. He says, I'm your God. To each one, he points to each one individually. So when it comes to Kalal Yisrael, neither can be... Um, can be sacrificed or can be that's not the word I'm looking for uh, they're both they're both important the Klal and the Prat the, the Tzibur and the Yachid of Klal Yisrael and that's why exactly this carbon the carbon that sort of created us as the Navi Yechaskel calls Yisrael calls, calls, Yom Holedes Oschem it's the day that we were born the carbon that leads into our birth is the carbon that it itself um, accentuates both points Everyone has to bring their carbon all together. Everyone has to bring their carbon, but it's all doing together on the same day. And that's what Hillel was able to show. Hillel was able to bring to the table and says, yes, this is a carbon tzibur, but it's not the type of tzibur that negates the yachid. It's not the type of cloud that says, individuals aren't important. We just need the big picture. No, Kalal Yisrael is built on a cloud that's made up of yachid, of yichidim, of each individual's avoda. Each individual's avoda is important, and it all comes together to create the beauty of the Kalal and the Sibur. What's amazing is, what is Hillel? That Hillel who was able to decipher this halacha in Karim Pesach, what's Hillel's quote in Pirkei Avos? You know, in Pirkei Avos is really a gathering of quotes of Tzadikim. Tzadikim said thousands of quotes, but in Pirkei Avos, it's, you have their select, their main quotes, the ones that embody them. What did Hillel say? Translated, if I'm not for myself, who is? If I'm only for myself, what am I? What is those two quotes? says, I gotta stand up for myself. That's talking about the significance of the yachid. No one's gonna take care of my job for me. I can't be, you know, I'm part of the group. It's a good group. I'm in a good place. I don't have to worry about myself. No, no. I have to take care of my yachid, myself. However, if therefore I'll become just self-centered and focused on myself and I don't care about everyone else, if all I think about is myself, what am I? 
So that's Hillel, the same Hillel that paskin the Shiloh about Karpin Pesach, who really expresses that in Pirkei Ovis. He says, I appreciate a Karpin Pesach. I appreciate the concept that to be a Yid means to be cognizant and focused on both, on the significance of every Yachid and on the Sibur coming together. So he was able to come and say, yes, I'm not phased by this carbon. I get it. This carbon has the advantage of a carbon Sibur without losing the advantage of the Yachid. And it is the Hashemus. And the Emes is, and that's why that brought him up to the level of Nasi, leader of Kali Yisrael. Because if anyone has to understand this, this message best, it's the leaders of Kali Yisrael. Because a leader might very often forget about the individual. They take care of the community. I'm a leader, a leader of 100 people, 1,000 people, 10,000 people, 100,000 people. If I'm such a great leader, how can I think about, you know, you know Chaim Yankel and, and the other guy? And the other? But the true symbol of leadership, of MSL leadership, al is the one who both can lead the Klal and have the vision of the Klal, but to never forget about a single prat and the, the, the individuality and the chashivas, the significance of every detail. So when Hillel was able to decipher the carbon Pesach question and recognize the beauty of the, of the integration of the yachid and the tzibur, the klal and the prat, the individual and the community, that's when he was elevated to the level of nasi and not just for himself. As you said, his son was Reb Shimon and his grandson was Gamliel and his great-grandson was Shimon and his great-great-grandson was Gamliel until Reb Yehuda Anasi, 13 generations of Nasim who all really um, perfected this concept of what it means to be a Nasi or really how we look at Yidin and Klal Yisrael as the, as the Chibur, as the coming together of the Klal, the embodiment of everyone together based on the individuality and the Koyach of every individual and that's why it was after this carbon that gives birth to Klal Yisrael.